And so we're going to we're going to go back to Deuteronomy 11. We have read now for half a Netflix episode. We have read through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and now we are in Deuteronomy. And um, and we're just going to continue to journey through the entire scripture. And what you're going to see is how powerfully transformative it is, how edifying it is, how much it will even transform how you read the scriptures that you're very much familiar with. I pray that this would change your perspective uh, for those of you who are in a faith crisis, that this would change your perspective, um, that you go beyond simply what people in church told you about what the Bible said, but to actually read it for yourself and to discover what it's actually saying and what this is really all about. As I said yesterday, and we're about to engage in this time of reading. Oh, one thing before we get started. One thing um, before we get started. Um, this Sunday, we have a live broadcast that I call, uh, that we call Ru, and Ru is really short for Ruach, which is the spirit. Um, it's our, it's just a night of uh, spiritual impartation. It's a night of just ministering to the heart. I'm going to be preaching through um, uh, or initiating a series called Prayer Works. I know some of you have been asking about prayer, and and um, I was doing a little bit of ranting on prayer a few days ago. And some of you are like, can you can you explain some more? Because I've never heard it this way, or, or it's, it's never been taught to me this way. I never understood what prayer was. We have a prayer series actually on our YouTube page, um, and I plan on doing more teaching on prayer, just prayer itself. But what we want to do on Saturday, uh, sorry, not on Saturday, on Sunday, Sunday night at 8 p.m., uh, we want you just to come and gather with us. We'll be on YouTube and on um, our um, uh, church platform. And I'm going to be preaching a word. Uh, and the message that I'm going to be sharing is that prayer works. And I'm going to minister through the story of Hannah. Um, it's really a story about how prayer works. Uh, we know that prayer works because the scriptures tell us that the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Prayer works. But prayer doesn't always work in the way that you think it does. And that's what I want to reveal is that prayer doesn't always work in the way that you think it does, but it always works. And the way it works is always for your good. And so I want to encourage you. I want to minister into that. I'm really, really excited. I have a word for you through um, in, uh, that, that I'm going to be preaching through in the book of First Samuel chapter one. So I want to encourage you to come and join us. It's at 8 p.m. 8 p.m. on YouTube. It's youtube.com slash the font TV, the font TV. Um, I want to encourage you to come and join us. I'll be there with you guys. Um, but it's going to be a word. Uh, I, and I, I'm listen, I was overwhelmed by just what, what the Lord was revealing to me through that word as many times as I've read this word. And yet the Lord is revealing something new. And so I want to encourage you to come because this is less about teaching and less about, um, simply, um, meditating on the scripture, but it's going to be about just simply ministering to you through the scripture. And I pray, and I know it's going to set some people free. I know it's going to set some people free in how they see prayer and how they see their relationship with God. And so I just want to encourage you, please come through. You do not want to miss it. Hey, Allison, good to see you, buddy. I got my son with me, so that's great. I hope Izzy's with you as well. Um, as we uh, are about to engage in the word. So um, I want you guys to turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy 11. So yes, it's the font TV. 
So it's on our YouTube channel, The Font TV. I want to encourage you to come through. It is going to be incredibly transformative. It's going to be incredibly powerful. Um, the Lord is just, he's leading me to minister to you through this word. And I know it's going to encourage you. And so you may not read Hannah in the same way again. Um, you, you're going to see the story in a whole different light and from a whole different perspective. And so um, I pray that it will be an encouragement uh, to you. So, yes, join us and invite a friend too. invite a friend as well uh, to come and join us. But it'll be on YouTube live at 8 p.m. OK, the font TV. All right. So we're going to get into the word now. OK, we're going to get into the word and I want to spend a few moments. Um, I'm going to be spending the, the most of the afternoon, most of the day today, just praying for what the Lord wants me to share with you on Sunday. And so um, he's already revealed the word to me. Now I'm just going to ask him to breathe through it. And so uh, it's going to be powerful um, because it's overwhelming me. So I know. uh Yes, and we're going to be talking about Hannah on Sunday night. Okay, guys? Sunday night, Ruth. So mark your calendars. Sunday night, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Brenda, for pointing that out because <laughs> I'll say 8 p.m., but we have people from all over the world right now who are attending. All right, let's not belabor the time. Let's get right into it. Uh, we're going to be in Deuteronomy 11. Okay, we're going to be in Deuteronomy 11. Lord, speak to us today. Lord, as we engage in your word, Father, I pray that you would bless this time. Father, we don't come with anything really prepared. We're not bringing anything other than, Lord, to hear from you. So, Father, I just ask, Lord, that you would um, speak to us in this time. Lord, speak through your word as we read it, Father. Place us in a posture of submission that we'd receive from you, Lord. Allow us to be edified by this word. Lord, convict us where we need conviction. Correct us where we need correction. Guide us where we need guidance. Lead us where we need to be led. Father, we just pray that you would breathe into this time. And we ask that in your name we pray. Amen and amen. Deuteronomy 11, and we're going to uh, get right into it. Verse 1. Therefore. <laughs> already highlight that. Highlight that right there. Therefore. You shall love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his judgments, and his commandments always. Know today that I do not speak with your children who have not known or who have not seen the chastening of the Lord your God, his greatness and his mighty hand and his outstretched arm, his signs and his acts, which he did in the midst of Egypt to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and to all the land what he did to the army of Egypt, to their horses and their chariots, how he made the waters of the Red Sea overflow them as they pursued you and how the Lord has destroyed them to this day. What he did for you in the wilderness until you came to this place and what he did for Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, the son of Reuben, how the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up, their households, their tents, and all the substance that was in their possession in the midst of all Israel, but your eyes have seen a very great act of the Lord, which he did. Therefore, you shall keep every commandment, which I command you today, that you may be strong and go in and possess the land, which you cross over to possess. 
and that you may prolong your days in the land which the Lord swore to give your fathers, to them and their descendants, a land flowing with milk and honey. For the land which you go to possess is not like the land of Egypt from which you come, where you sowed your seed and watered it by foot as a vegetable garden, but the land which you cross over to possess is a land of hills and valleys which drinks water from the rain of heaven, a land for which the Lord your God cares. The eyes of the Lord your God are always on it from the beginning of the year to the very end of the year. And it shall be that if you earnestly obey my commandments, which I command you today, to love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will give you the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the latter rain. You may gather in your grain, your new wine and your oil, and I will send grass in your field for your livestock that you may eat and be filled. Take heed for yourselves, or sorry, take heed to yourselves, lest your heart be deceived and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Lest the Lord's anger be aroused against you and he shut up the heavens so that there be no rain. Sorry. And the land yield no produce, and you perish quickly from the good land which the Lord is giving you. Therefore, you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and bind them as a sign on your hand. And they shall be frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, speaking of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house, and on your gates, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give them, like the days of the heavens of the earth. For if you carefully keep all these commandments which I command you to do, to love your God, to walk in all his ways, and to hold fast to him, then the Lord will drive out all these nations before you. And you will dispossess greater and mightier nations than yourselves. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads shall be yours, from the wilderness and Lebanon, from the river. The river Euphrates, even to the western sea, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand against you. The Lord your God will put dread of you and fear of you upon all the land where you tread, just as he said to you. Behold, I set before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and the curse, if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from which I command you today to go after other gods, which you have not known. Now it shall be when the Lord your God has brought you into the land, which you possess, which you go to possess, that you shall put the blessing on Mount Gerizim and the curse on Mount Ebal. Are they not on the other side of the Jordan toward the setting of the sun in the land of the Canaanites who dwell in the plain opposite Gilgal, beside the terebinth tree of Morah? For you shall cross over the Jordan and go in to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you. And you will possess it and dwell in it. And you shall be careful to observe all the statutes and judgments which I set before you today.
These are the statutes and judgments which you shall be careful to observe in the land of the Lord your God, your fathers, is giving you to possess all the days that you live on the earth. You shall utterly destroy all the places where the nations which shall dispossess, sorry, you shall utterly destroy all the places where the nations which you shall dispossess serve their gods. On the high mountains and on the hills and under every grass tree, every green tree, you shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, burn their wooden images with fire. You shall cut off their carved image, the carved images of their gods and destroy their names from that place. You shall not worship the Lord your God with such things. But you shall seek the place where the Lord your God chooses out of all your tribes to put his name for his dwelling place. And there you shall go. There you shall take your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the heave offerings of your hand, your vowed offerings, your freewill offerings, and the firstborn of the herds and the flocks. And there you shall eat before the Lord your God, and you shall destroy in all, sorry, you shall rejoice in all to which you have put your hand, you and your household, in which the Lord your God has blessed you. You shall not at all do as we are doing here today. Every man doing whatever is right in his own eyes. For as yet you have not come to the rest and the inheritance which the Lord your God is giving you. But when you cross over the Jordan and dwell in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to inherit, and he gives you rest from all the enemies round about so that you dwell in safety, then there will be the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. There you shall bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the heave offerings of your hand, and all your choice offerings which you vow to the Lord. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God. And you and your sons and your daughters, your male and female servants, and the Levite who is within your gates, since he has no portion nor inheritance with you, take heed to yourselves as you do not offer your burnt offerings in every place that you see but in the place in which the Lord chooses. Hmm. In one of your tribes, there you shall offer burnt offerings and there you shall do all that I command you. However, you may slaughter and eat meat within all your gates, whatever your heart desires, according to the blessing of the Lord your God, which he has given you. The unclean and the clean meat eat of it. Only you shall not eat the blood. You shall pour it in the earth like water. You may not eat within your gates the tithes of your great offering or your new wine or your oil of the firstborn of your herd or your flock of any of your offerings which you vow, of your freewill offerings or of the heave offering of your hand. But you must eat them before the Lord your God in the place which the Lord your God chooses you and your son and your daughter, your male servant and your female servant, and the Levite who is within your gates, you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, <clears throat> to which you put your hands. Take heed to yourself that you do not forsake the Levite as long as you live in the land. When the Lord your God enlarges your border, as he has promised you, and you say, let me eat meat, because you long to eat meat, you may eat as much meat as your heart desires. If the place where the Lord your God chooses to put his name is too far from you, 
then you may slaughter from your herd and from your flock, which the Lord has given you, just as I have commanded you. And you may eat within your gates as much as your heart desires. Just as the gazelle and the deer are eaten, so you may eat them. The unclean and the clean alike, you may eat them. Only be sure that you do not eat the blood, for the blood is the life, and you may not eat the life with the meat. You shall not eat it. You shall pour it on the earth like water. You shall not eat it that it may go well with you and your children after you, when you do what is right in the sight of the Lord. Only the holy things which you have and your vowed offerings you shall take and go to the place which the Lord chooses. You shall offer your burnt offerings, the meat and the blood, on the altar of the Lord your God. The blood of your sacrifices shall be poured out on the altar of the Lord your God, and you shall eat the meat. Observe and obey all these words which I command you, that it may go well with you and your children after you forever when you do what is good and right in the sight of the Lord your God. When the Lord your God cuts off from before you the nations which you dispossess and you displace them and dwell in their land, take heed to yourselves that you are not ensnared to follow them after they are destroyed from before you and that you do not, requ- you do not inquire after their God saying, how did these nations serve their God? I also will do likewise. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. For every abomination to the Lord which he hates, they have done to their gods. For they burn even their sons and daughters in the fire to their gods. Whatever I command you, be careful to observe it. You shall not add or take away from it. Come back to that in a second. And we'll read this as, well, we'll see, maybe another chapter afterwards. Deuteronomy 13. And if there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes to pass of which he spoke to you, saying, let us go after other gods which you have not known, or let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you, to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart with all, and with all your soul. Goodness gracious. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him. Keep his commandments and obey his voice. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. But that prophet, the dreamer of dreams, shall be put to death because he has spoken in order to turn you away from the Lord your God and brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeem you from the house of bondage to entice you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall put away the evil from your midst. If your brother, the son of your mother, your son or your daughter, the wife of your bosom or your friend, who is as your own secretly entices you, saying, let us go and serve other gods, which you have not known, neither you nor your fathers of the gods of the peoples which are all around you near to you or far off from you from one end of the earth to the other end of the earth you shall not consent to him or listen to him nor shall your eye pity him nor shall you spare him or conceal him but you shall surely kill him your hand shall be first against him to be put to death afterward the hand of all the people 
and you shall stone him with stones until he dies, because he sought to entice you away from the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. So all of Israel shall hear and fear, and not again do such wickedness as this among you. If you hear someone in one of your cities, which the Lord your God gives you to dwell in, saying, Corrupt men have gone out from among you, and entice the inhabitants of the city, saying, Let us go and serve other gods, which you have not known. Then I shall inquire and search out and ask diligently. And if it is indeed true and certain that such an abomination was committed among you, you shall surely strike the inhabitants of that city with the edge of the sword, utterly destroying it, all that is in it and its livestock with the edge of the sword. You shall gather all its plunder in the middle of the street and completely burn with fire the city and all its plunder for the Lord your God, for the Lord your God. It shall be a heap forever, it shall not be built again, so none of the accursed things shall remain in your hand that the Lord may turn from the fierceness of his anger and show you mercy, have compassion on you and multiply you, just as he swore to your fathers, because you have listened to the voice of the Lord your God to keep all his commandments, which I command you today, to do what is right in the eyes of the Lord your God. Um, I'm going to stop right here. I've got, I've got a lot of thoughts. <laughs> um, Lord guide me today as I uh, reflect on your word. Father, lead me, guide me, um, as I'm being led, uh, today. A lot here to be said and a lot here to be articulated. And I just pray, Lord, that you would lead this time. I say that in your name we pray. Amen. Um if you're asking me why I'm wrestling with this scripture today, um, I'm wrestling with it. I'm wrestling with what I've just read because what you're beginning to see right now is a shift. Um, if you have been here throughout the past uh, few weeks, as we've been reading through the Old Testament, reading through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and now reading through Deuteronomy, the whole purpose, right, is to expose you to the totality of the text so you can really see what the Bible is really saying. Okay. So you can really see what the Bible's really saying and not simply, you know, reading or hearing what somebody says about what the Bible says. And also it's intended to help you read the Bible with the proper lens. I say that because, and this is why I'm wrestling, because if you ask me what, what the Lord is challenging me with and if I would just be wide open with you, if you'd allow me that, I may say some things right now that are going to be uncomfortable for many of you because you probably haven't heard things said this way. You haven't heard, these, heard things said this way because more often than not, what 
what people have done, what most people or what I've seen happen in most churches, be it denominational and often even non-denominational churches, is we give a presentation of the Bible that is uh, confined to a doctrine. So there's a, a doctrine that has been determined and that doctrine, right, once we develop a doctrine, then we try to fit the scriptures around the doctrine. And because we try to fit the scriptures around the doctrine, what we do is we don't really get the inside of the scripture. We're just simply building up on a construct that was never, ever, ever really divine. It wasn't a divine construct. It was a man-made construct. Any doctrine is a man-made construct. Let me say that one more time. Doctrines are man-made. Now, it doesn't mean that doctrines are wrong. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is doctrines are man's way of trying to understand what the scriptures are saying. But the doctrines are not the end-all, be-all. The end-all, be-all is the word itself. It's the scripture itself. That's the end-all, be-all. The doctrine should be the Bible. (laughs) The doctrine should be the word. Unfortunately, we will have doctrine... And these doctrines, you know, if some of us, we inherit those doctrines. So it's not that we read through the Bible and we came up with these positions on these things. We simply took a few verses that were kind of pieced together a certain way. And then after those few verses have been pieced together a certain way, then we create this ideology and this doctrine, right? Because it's a man-made doctrine. And then from then on, we impose the rest of the Bible on that doctrine. We suffocate the spirit of God. Because we don't read the word as it ought to be read. Does any contribution that I make here, and I'm going to take my time if that's okay, if you'd allow me, I'm going to take my time here. But is any contribution that I can make to any of you as you're listening to this is I'm, I hope what I'm doing is, is I'm backing you out and I'm pulling down and destroying what, what, what the scriptures rebuke, which is the doctrines of men. That there are many of us who follow the doctrines of men. And to go back and to read the Bible for what it actually says, not for what somebody says, and not through a doctrine that was given to you. The unfortunate thing is for many of you who've grown up in church, I know there are atheists here. I know there are people who aren't even Christian who are here. Um, I I can see already that there are Muslims who are here. There are, there's like two or three Buddhists who are here. Um, I say that and I'm not here to call you out. So don't think that I'm calling you out. Okay, I'm just being led by the Spirit of God. Um, that there are Buddhists here as well. There are those who um, are not Christian. There are those who are um, here that are anti-Christian. Is what I mean by that. It's not that you're not Christian. You're against Christianity. You you don't have a neutral position. You're actually anti-Christian. Okay, I'm not saying every Buddhist here is anti-Christian. Okay, um, so I want you to understand that you just don't have a particular position on Christianity or on the Christian faith. Part of it is because it was never taught to you correctly. Part of it is because it was never shared to you properly. Part of it is because and there, there was never a clear understanding. And I'm going to say something that's going to sound a little bit difficult for maybe some of you to hear. But there are there's a Buddhist here who has a, who has a, an advantage over cultural Christians. I'm sorry if, if if that if I hope I don't offend anyone here, but there are Buddhists here who have an advantage over cultural Christians. 
there's an agnostic who didn't grow up in church who just hears about this Christian thing who has an advantage over Christians. You want to know why? Because you don't have a cookie cutter perspective of what the scriptures are supposed to say. And so because you don't have a cookie cutter perspective, you have an advantage because you're not going to superimpose your theology and your ideology and whatever you've been conditioned to believe growing up in church on the scripture itself. I'm sorry, this is all a preface because I have to say all of this because what I'm about to say may make some people uncomfortable. But the reality is, is if you back away for a second and you just shut down everything anyone's ever said and you simply read what the scriptures say, then you'll understand that the Bible is saying something incredibly profound. Incredibly profound. We just miss it because we're forcing whatever doctrine we grew up with on the scripture. So I'm here to give you the real. That's what I'm here to do. I'm here to give you the real. We're in a portion of the scripture where the scripture is starting to shift. There's a shift in the text. And because there's a shift in this text in Deuteronomy, I have to preface this with that. Because if I don't, it's going to make, it's going to really start confusing you. Because there are people who grew up, who are here, who grew up in church, who somehow think that this book was written to them. It wasn't written to you, it was written for you. I'm saying that, I'm going to say it over and over again. This is the story of God's chosen people. That's what we've been reading. Notice, I'm not putting any theology into this. I'm not putting any doctrine. I'm actually removing myself from the scripture. And I'm reading it for what it says, instead of imposing my ego onto the scripture. We need to take our egos out so that we can hear what the Bible has to say. There are people right now who are reading this and they have a veil. The first thing that they're reading is, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? This is what God is saying to me. God is talking to me. God is talking to me. When he says, you, you must be me. No, it isn't that. That's not what the script, when it says, you are the children of the Lord, your God, you shall not cut yourselves nor shave the front of your head. We're going to see that in Deuteronomy 14. That's why I stopped here because in Deuteronomy 14 it says, you are the children of the Lord, your God. You shall not cut Cut yourselves, nor shave the front of your head for the dead. There are people who go, oh my goodness, the Bible says that I can't shave, or I shouldn't get a lineup, or I shouldn't do anything like that. The, it wasn't talking to you. You in the scripture is not you, but rather it is Moses talking to the children of Israel. I say that to say that up to this point, what we're right, what we're reading is Moses' letters. And his sermons to the children of Israel. The book of Deuteronomy is a sermon. It's a sermon written to the children of Israel. To the new generation. Because the old generation, because of their lack of faith and disobedience, remained in the wilderness. Because they, and so because they remained in the wilderness, that's what, we, that's what the book of Numbers was all about. All the time they spent in the wilderness with all their disagreement and all, the, all that stuff that was going on in the book of Numbers, it ends with God saying that it will be the generation after you who will go into the land that was promised to them. Now the new generation is about to go into the land without Moses, but Moses wants to make sure that he gives them what he had received, what the previous generation before received. And so he's explaining to them and reiterating to them the law that was given to them. Why was the law given to them? Notice the law wasn't given to us. Okay. The law was not given to Christians. 
was not given to Gentiles. It was given to the ancient children of Israel, ancient Israel. What, what did this law come from? It came from the covenant that they made with God in at Mount Sinai. That's Exodus. They make the covenant with God at Mount Sinai and they chose to be a nation of priests that will reveal can go back to if you want to go read it again we've done this already so i'm not going to spend too much time on it you can go back catch our reading rants from before i have a reading rant podcast you can catch that um on, on spotify and you can catch it on itunes um and i also have it on our facebook group the font everywhere on facebook you can catch it there so i don't want to spend too much time i don't want to belabor the time but i want to make sure everybody knows where i'm going with this the generation received a law that would shape them out to become a holy nation. The word holy doesn't mean righteous or above everyone else, simply chosen to be different from everyone else. Did you hear that? Holiness was not righteousness above anyone else. The holiness was to be different, to be set aside from everyone else because they were given the task and the duty to show what the kingdom of God looked like. Is everybody with me here? So therefore, when you read the Ten Commandments or you read all these laws that we've been reading up to this point, these laws were not written to you, okay? They were written to the children of Israel. You've been given the privilege to eavesdrop on a story about a people that God is using to bring restoration to all of humanity. So it's not, it's not to you, but the implications are for you. Are you with me so far? That part may make some people uncomfortable. But by now, you guys have already heard me say this over and over again. But here's the part that's going to make you a little bit more uncomfortable. And I'm going to give you the main thought, okay? So just bear with me, okay? Bear with me here. The book was written by Moses the prophet, an Israelite, an ancient Israelite. And this ancient Israelite is writing this two ancient Israelites for the sake of perpetuating and passing down the story for the Israelites who would come afterwards for generations to come. Notice it was written by an Israelite to an Israelite. It was written by an Israelite for Israelites. It was written by an Israelite in an ancient time for Israelites in that time. Why am I saying that? I'm saying that because it was not written by an Israelite for an American. It was not written by an Israelite for a Jamaican. It was not written by an Israelite to, sorry, not for, sorry, to a Jamaican or to a European or to a Haitian or to a Mexican. It was written by an Israelite to Israel. Why is that important? The reason why that's important is, stay with me, I know it's going to make some people uncomfortable, is that you cannot read this from your own cultural lens. And that's why you cannot force your culture on this text. You cannot force your ideology on this text. You cannot force your politics on this text. You cannot force your sense of right and wrong on this text. You can't even force your racial experience on this text. 
You can't force any of that on this text. People will force themselves on the text. You cannot. If you're going to take what the truth of this text is saying, I hope my boys are listening as well. Because this took me a long time to, to, to discover and a long time to realize. If you cannot, if you want to take and receive what this text is saying, then you have to read it within its context to extrapolate the truth of what it says and then to see now what the implications of that truth are for us today. How, because truth, truth never changes, but how is it true? If I know how it's true here, then I'll know how it's true for me because God never changes. If God never changes, I need to understand the truth, how it's revealed to them, then to understand now how that truth applies to me. Is anybody understanding that? So therefore, when people say, well, the Bible justifies this, or the Bible says this, the Bible says that, that's so, that's so small. It's so myopic. You're missing it. You're missing the point. You're missing the point. Let me give you an example. Let's talk about our founding fathers. The story of our founding fathers, Thomas Jefferson, one of the founding fathers, signed and wrote, wrote the Declaration of Independence. Is the Declaration of Independence, it's the Declaration of Independence is the very backbone that holds our country together. But there are stories behind what happened in the Declaration of Independence. Now watch this. We know that Thomas Jefferson had hundreds of slaves. If I write a book telling you the story of how Thomas Jefferson Watch this now, family. If I write a book telling you a story of how Thomas Jefferson wrote and initiated one of the greatest um, innovations of of humanity, democracy itself, one of the great innovations, right? Um, uh, You know, writing the Declaration of Independence and, 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 and then we have the Constitution and all these things that he participated in. And I tell you the whole story of Thomas Jefferson. And in that story, I put that also he held slaves. Watch this now. And he kept slaves and kept meticulous notes on his slaves. Just because I put that in the book, does that mean that I've justified slavery? Somebody help me now. If I put in the book the whole story of what has transpired in Jefferson's time, does that mean then that, well, there's slavery in this book, and because there's slavery in this book, then um, the writer of this book justifies and supports slavery? No. I'm chronicling that slavery was a part of the book that slavery was a part of the story. I'm not justifying it. I'm chronicling that it is. I hope everybody's understanding here what I'm saying. I'm bringing that up because there are parts and portions of the text that make people uncomfortable. And so they read it and they go, well, here I see that Jefferson writes that you should do X, Y, and Z for my slaves. If I chronicle that in the book, people will insert themselves in and go, this is what I need to do for slaves. No. This is what Jefferson told to his assistant about how he ought to manage his slaves. It does not mean that the person who wrote it supported slavery. (laughs) Are you you catching what I'm saying? I hope you guys are catching what I'm saying here. 
So then how do I extrapolate the truth of the story? I need to go into the moment and into that time, understand that time to grab what needs to be taken from that time. This is what we miss on. We read the Bible as if it's a contemporary book. No, it's an antiquated book that has eternal implications, has timeless implications, but it was still written in a time. I'm sorry. I know this, this almost sounds like Bible study, but I have to say this because I'm giving you all of this because you notice I'm, I'm being very ginger and very careful here because what I'm about to say next may make some people uncomfortable. We read the Bible from a Western lens when what we ought to be doing is to read it from an ancient Eastern lens. We need to read the Bible from the perspective of the person who wrote it to the people that he wrote it to. Because if you don't read it that way and you don't read it within that context, this, this all falls apart. All of it. You're going to start saying, wait, but then how do I, how do I make sense of this? And how do I make sense of that? How to get out of it, back away from it. I don't insert myself into Jefferson's story. I learn about Jefferson's story and the implications of how it affects my life today. Did you catch that? I don't insert myself into Jefferson's story. I learn about Jefferson's story and then extrapolate the implications of what Jefferson's story has on my life today. Therefore, when we read the, the Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, and all through the Old Testament, we're not inserting ourselves into the text. We're learning the story. And when we learn the story, we'll learn the implications of the story and how those things apply to us today. The one thing that's going to make a lot of you uncomfortable is that the way you view God is not how the Israelites viewed God. We view God as, um, for those, you know, the, we argue about doctrines, like, for example, you have the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so we'll force the Trinity on everything because we have a doctrine. We see two or three verses with the Trinity, and then we try to force it onto everything else in the Bible. <laughs> that's, that's what we do. Okay. Um, you can always catch the recap. It's on Facebook and it'll show up eventually on the, re on the read and rant. Um, and so there are those who argue for the Trinity. And then there are those who argue against the Trinity. You know, you, you have then the oneness, um, you know, oneness theologians who say that, well, God was first the creator. Then he became Jesus and then um, he died, and now he's a spirit. And so there's this oneness, okay? So you got oneness theologies, okay? And so we're all arguing about a God who's way bigger than both of them. <laughs> oh, we, we argue. And so, no, I didn't say I didn't believe in the Trinity, but God is even bigger than that. And I'm going to explain to you what I mean by that. We'll eventually talk about the Trinity because, of course, I have, of course, I believe in the Trinity. 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I understand all of that. But understand here that the Hebrews see a much bigger, bigger perspective of God. We're the ones who force our... Think, think about how... Have you ever heard how someone... Let me ask you a question. Have you heard anyone explain Trini, the Trinity in a way that makes sense? And, and the reason why... I'm, 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 I know I'm going really uncomfortable with a lot of you. I know this is this might get me into some trouble, okay? This might get me into some trouble, but I'm only going to give you truth, okay? I'm not here. I just want to make sure, you know, I, again, I'm not here. I'm not even going to fully teach the Trinity to you today. I'm going to teach you ancient Israel because I want you to understand why God takes the worship of other gods so seriously. Okay, I want to make sure. So I'm ranting. I don't have a, I don't have a clear. Maybe I'll write some notes up and we'll do a Bible study on the Trinity. When, um, when you know, people will say, "Well, how is he three in one? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Aren't they three things? Yes, they're three. Three persons, one God. Three persons, one God. And and we we get very confused about that. Three persons, one God. But then, how's he one and how's he three? And so you'll see people, you know, that'll use the 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 analogy of well, you know, um, take multiplication like one times one times one is one times one times one is still equal to one. And so it's like, wait, how is three one? One times one times one. And so they'll use it, and it, it yeah, that's great. That, mathematically, that makes sense. But for most people, when they hear that, they don't fully understand what you're talking about. It doesn't fully make sense. And the reason why is because the Trinity won't fully make sense until you understand how the Hebrews saw God. Did I say I do not believe in the Trinity? I absolutely did not say that. But I will say this, that most people, most people's understanding of the Trinity is also unbiblical as well. This one's supposed to be a Bible study, but I'm so compelled to do this because I need to reveal to you what's happening here as I read the text. I said something in our last read and rant, which a lot of people got very, very uncomfortable with. And this is why I made this whole preface because I know a lot of you got uncomfortable. I got some messages from some of you. I was like, this doesn't sound right. This is, it doesn't sound right because it goes against all the conditioning that you've received for so many years. So I'm, again, I don't want you to think that I'm throwing everything out, but you may have to back away from everything you've learned for a moment. <laughs> a little heresy among friends. We don't want to speak any heresy, okay? No heresy at all, actually, okay? We don't want to speak heresy. I just want to go against indoctrination. We're going to go with what the scriptures say. And the scriptures begin with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. An ancient Israel author writing to an ancient Israel people. The word God there is Elohim. Elohim is a multiplicity. Elohim is the plural version of God. Elohim is the plural version of God in the Hebrew. In the Hebrew, the word El is God. The word Elohim is the plural version of God. So it's, it, it, it's almost like he's saying in the beginning, God's created the heavens and the earth. And everyone would freak out because there is only one God. Yes and no. Please stay with me here. 
we, when we think of God, we simply think of the sky man who created all things and who's above all things and who has created everything that we see, the universe and everything that is in it. Absolutely true. That's L. The Hebrews would say L. But the scripture doesn't say L. It says in the beginning. It didn't say in the beginning, L created the heavens and the earth. It said in the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. The, you know, the overly Trinitarian, and I say overly Trinitarian because, again, forcing doctrine on the scripture, they will tell you Elohim is God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. In the beginning, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. So they were all there when they created the heavens and the earth. The Hebrews would not have understood it that way. Stay with me, fam. The Hebrews would not have understood it that way. We try to use things like me, myself, and I to understand God, to understand the Trinity. We're not going to fully understand the Trinity until we understand this concept and this principle. You must see God from the Hebrew lens to understand Jesus and to understand the Holy Spirit, to fully understand Jesus and to fully understand the Holy Spirit. In Psalm chapter 82, it says God stands in the divine assembly and he had ministers judgment in the midst of the gods. It says Elohim stands in the divine assembly and he administers judgment in the midst of the Elohim. Not all the Elohim were the creator. Elohim was a distinction of a being that is created by God, El. The Elohim were God's representatives in the spiritual realm. So any spiritual being was essentially an Elohim. So God, El, Elion, that's the scriptures. Again, we can go through the book of Psalms. You're going to see this all through the book of Psalms. El Elion is the God, the creator that stands above the Elohim. He's the one that stands in the divine assembly. You know what the word divine assembly means? The divine congregation, meaning there's a heavenly host. That's another word for that. You say heavenly host, they think angels. No, it's not just the angels. Do not insert. Again, we're inserting our own thinking onto, no, the heavenly hosts, the divine assembly is the Elohim. So among them are the Elohim and among the, so, and those are the gods. Is anybody with me there? The Elohim are the gods. This is in uh, Psalm 82 that he says this, that among the Elohim is God. So the, the Hebrews did not understand God the way we do. They, they, didn't, they don't see God the way we do. We have a very small, we have a much smaller perspective of God, but God is the judge, the authority above all things. That's why they called him El Elyon, the possessor of the heaven and the earth. He was the God above all gods. 
they had a name for him. His name was Yahweh. El Yahweh. I say that to say that, and this is where people, it, it, I know this is going to make some people uncomfortable, but I'm only going to read, and as we journey, and, I'm, and I want you to journey with me through this, as we journey, you're going to begin to understand now why God took idol worship so seriously. Okay? Again, there, there are so many verses that preachers and pastors, they skip over and they skip over them because they can't reconcile them because they're the, it breaks their theology. I'll say one thing. If you have a theological position, you will naturally filter out the uncomfortable verses in the scripture. You just filter them out and ignore them. And in doing that, you miss out on what God is really saying and you miss out on who God is and you miss out on Jesus and the profundity of the work and the sacrifice that he made on the cross. That's why some of us have information of doctrines, but we're not we're never really transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ because we don't fully understand God and what he's done. Um, and maybe I'll do a Bible study on that. The reason why I'm saying all of that, because I want you to understand that ancient Israel knew this, that among the Elohim were Elohim. Among the Elohim was an Elohim that received the spirit of Satan. People think of Satan as a person, but Satan is not a person. Satan is a system. Satan is the opposer of God. So anyone who has the spirit of Satan becomes opposers. That's why the scriptures more appropriately use the terminology, the Satan. If God is about life and all that is good, Satan is about anything that opposes that. Satan is for death. Satan is for... So anybody, anybody, I hope, I hope I'm not losing you here. I want you to understand this, that there's a Satan and then there's the devil. The devil is now Satan. The devil was... Well, conceived the spirit of Satan. This is in Ezekiel. We're going to get there. We're going to eventually get there. I'm only saying this to tell you that Satan is an Elohim. How do we know that? Because the scriptures tell us when we look at translations, we often, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see the word and we'll not go, we won't go back to the text and look at the text. The demons were referred to as Elohim in the scriptures. I can, I will now, now, now I feel like I have to do a Bible study on this. The demons were referred to as Elohim. Among the Elohim were the angels. Among the Elohim were the 24 elders. Among the Elohim were the, the, the spiritual beings, the archangels. There was organization in Elohim. And they all operated under the authority of Yahweh, the authority of God, the creator of all things. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth, meaning God was speaking among them. El, among them, said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Notice he said, notice what he says in that verse. I'm ranting. Oh my gosh. I'm, I got to get to this, this scripture. I got to get to where I'm going here so you can see where I'm going. But notice in that verse when he says, let us make man in our image. Why didn't then it go from why did it go from us to him? God 
who among the Elohim said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Then the scriptures say, he, he said, and in the image of God created he them. In the image of God created he them. He created them, singular them. So it went from us to he. Because among the Elohim is Yahweh. Among the Elohim is El. We're going to get to Jesus eventually. Because then you'll understand what the Trinity is. Because the Trinity is, yes, there is a Trinity. Absolutely agree. Elohim is the plural version of God. It is the gods. Now, this is weird for us. Okay? This was not weird for the Israelites. It was not weird for the ancient Israelites. As a matter of fact, ready for this? This may, this is, and this is why I'm going to this place in this text and why God is really convicting me of this. Yes, so the demons are among the Elohim. The demons are Elohim that disobeyed God. Satan, the devil, is a system above. Satan is a system in which the, Elo, the, the, the demons operate under, and the leader among them is Lucifer himself, who we call the devil. Meaning there's a spiritual force that's going against God. I said more than I needed to say. I probably said too much. I had to say all that because I wanted you to know what I'm reading when I read this text. When he says, you shall utterly destroy all the places where the nations which you shall dispossess served there. This is in Deuteronomy 12 verse 2, what we just read. Let's look at verse 1 and 2. Okay. These are the statutes and the judgments which you shall be careful to observe in the land which the Lord God of your fathers is giving you to possess all the days that you live on the earth. Verse 2. You shall utterly destroy all the places where the nations which shall dispossess served their gods. The word gods there is Elohim. You shall utterly destroy all the places where the nations which you shall dispossess serve their Elohim. On the high mountains and on the hills and under every tree. The Elohim were real. They operated in the spiritual realm. The Elohim, that's good that you call them the children of El. They can be seen that way. Exactly right. They're the children of El. God created the Elohim. And Elohim, their whole purpose, pay attention, family, because this is where I'm going. And, and after this, I'm done. Um, the Elohim, their duty, their responsibility was to administrate God's agenda in the realm of the spirit. Meaning they were there to initiate God's agenda in the realm that we cannot see. The things that are happening in a realm that cannot be seen. Ah, but that is visible through what is seen. 
So if the Elohim, stay with me now. He created the Elohim and among the Elohim, he created humans. He said, let us make man in our own image. What does, he be made, what does he mean to be made in the image of God? To be made in the image of God is literally to be God's representative on earth. So if the Elohim are God's representatives in the realm of the spirit, then on earth, Humans are the representatives of God on earth. Elohim were called to initiate God's justice and God's agenda on the earth. They were the fingers of God, the hands of God, who did what God called them to do in the realm of the spirit. Human beings are the representatives of God called to administrate God's agenda on earth. Somebody in there asked about UFOs. Here's why the Bible doesn't speak specifically. People look for UFOs in the Bible because the Bible is not about UFOs. Can UFOs exist? Sure, they can. <laughs> but that's not our concern. Let me explain to you why. Because our concern was to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth and subdue it. Meaning on this earth, this rock that God has created, God brought man and breathed life into him. And in breathing life into him, called mankind to initiate his agenda on earth. Did you hear that family? He called mankind to initiate his agenda on earth. Not mankind's agenda, but his agenda. Are you hearing me? Not, 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 not what he wants to do, but what God wants to do through him. Because the flourishing of the earth is dependent on man's ability to rule according to what God says he must rule. There's a shift in this text because Adam, when he sinned, the grievance of his sin was that Adam chose his agenda over God's. And so Adam ceased to be what he was called to be, which was God's representative on earth in the same way that an ambassador cannot go to another country representing the United States and choose his own agenda he must do what the United States' agenda is. If he chooses to do anything other than, what is he called for? He's called for treason. He will be convicted for treason and he'll be put to death. He'll face a death sentence for speaking on behalf of America to another country, but really pushing and propagating his own agenda. That is what Adam did. Adam was brought to earth to fulfill the agenda of God. And instead, he sought to fulfill his own agenda. Are you with me, family? This is important. Because from that moment, God and man were separate. Because now man's wrestling with his agenda versus God's agenda, with what he wants to do versus with what God wants to do through him. And yet when he does what he wants to do, there cannot be flourishing on the earth. The earth falls apart. 
And that's what we saw. We saw division. We saw pestilence. We saw violence. That's what we read all through the old, what we've been reading up to this point. And now God is calling a people to reinstitute his rule through mankind on earth. In the end, God wants to rule on earth and in the spirit through the Elohim and through human beings. Among the Elohim were Elohim who disobeyed God. These are the gods who have their own agendas over God. And yet they fall under the same consequence as human beings who choose to follow their own agenda over God. And this is why God took the worship of other gods so seriously. Can I, can I say a few things real quick? There's an overlapping and an intertwining of what's happening in the realm of the spirit and what's happening in the physical realm. There's, a, there's, a, there's an intertwining of what's happening in the realm of the spirit and what's happening on earth. Just so you know, God gave us dominion over the earth. He didn't give us dominion over the universe. <laughs> Sorry, we could go to space and all that, but we have dominion over the earth. That's what he called us to. That's what he entrusted us with. Just another, it's another conversation for another day. So if you ask about, you're like, well, what about the other intelligent beings in other places? We don't know what God's story is for them. If they exist, I don't know, but I don't, it doesn't matter to me right now. That's not my concern. My concern is what God has entrusted with me to me here. And the reality is for many of us, we stay with me now, stay with me now. We we don't prioritize God's agenda on earth. We often prioritize our own and we fail to, f to have awareness about what is going on in the intertwining of the spiritual and the physical. He gave man dominion to rule the earth. And what we fail to understand is, is that everything that God is doing on earth, he's doing through human beings. Okay. He's doing through us as human beings. God is not doing anything without human participation. And yet humans have been given access to participate in some of these things. And ready for this? This is why I'm staying here today. Because there's some folks in here who are asking the question, but there are other things out there. there. There are other spiritual things. That's what I came to tell you. The Israelites knew this. They knew that there were other spiritual things. They knew that there were other spiritual elements. They knew that there were other spiritual beings. They knew that. The idols and the gods, just to make sure you guys understand this, these gods and these idols, they didn't worship the statue. They worshiped what the statue embodied. They worshiped what the statue represented. They worshiped what the, sta what, what they, what the statue was possessed by. 
Understand? Um, I'm going to answer that question, Gary. I'm going to answer it real short for you. Because once God gave man dominion, God puts his word above himself. The scriptures tell us that God puts his word above himself. Meaning, once he gave mankind dominion on the earth, God was not coming to take it back from him. So the moment that Adam had dominion, Adam had the choice to do whatever he wanted. And if God prohibited Adam from disobeying, then God would have lied to himself. How can you give someone dominion, but you're still controlling what they do? Adam had dominion. And that's why Adam and, and understand that Adam had dominion, but God asked one thing of Adam. He said, rule the way I rule. Adam choose, chose to rule his own way. And in the end, God had to separate himself. Um, I hope that helps, but let me go back to my thought. I, I don't want to lose where I'm going here. And so now we who are the imagers of God, we who are the representatives of God, who, who rule the earth according to what God wants us to rule, we can only be influenced and motivated by the spirit of God. So understand now how much of a grievance it is. Stay with me, family. When you know that the other spirits, because they knew about the other spirits. Remember, they see the word differently than us. I, I'm saying that. Notice I'm building up to my point here in this text. They see a world fundamentally different from what we see it. They were aware of the other beings. They were aware of the Elohim. They understood what it meant when, when Elohim created the heavens and the earth. They understood the Elohim. As we read through it, you saw that narrative through. They had a, they had a very, very complex understanding of the realm of the spirit and a very complex understanding of God. And they knew that among the Elohim were those who were disobedient, some of which were demons, but they were the ones who took on their own agenda. Notice that the demons had to choose, and in choosing, they took on their own agenda. And because they took on their own agenda, seeking to follow their own rule, they were separated from God, and for that reason, they were the enemy. That is Satan that has consumed them with their own agenda. Satan never tempts you with some evil plan. Satan will always tempt you with your hurt. Satan will always tempt you with your, with your brokenness. Satan will always tempt you with your own idea of, 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 of self glory, your own idea of, of self gratification, your own idea of, of self promotion and self preservation. Guys, understand this, that some of the most evil things that we have seen in the world were rooted from ideas that we would have all supported. Okay, let me protect my people as Hitler. Hitler did it and it started with simply the preservation of the Aryan race. Hitler didn't come in with the evil that said, let me just kill millions of people. Hitler came in with, let me preserve 
my race. And preserving his race, we saw one of the most evil things to transpire in the history of humanity. Evil is not birthed out of something outside of us. Evil is birthed within our own desires, within our own agenda. It's when we want to do what we want to do. It's when we want to do what we think is best for us. It's when we seek our own self-glory, our own self-preservation. It's when, we're, it's when it's about me, myself, and I. Me, myself, and I is the root of all evil. And it's the very thing that the devil tempted Eve with. It's the very thing that Adam succumbed to. It's the very thing that has caused all the hurt, all the hate, all the evil, and all the brokenness in the world is me, myself, and I. These gods had me, myself, and I in mind. And for that, they became the enemy. And yet God is calling these children to be his representatives We know that Iran is not an ally of the United States. So I'm going to make it real simple, real plain for you. Iran is not an ally of the United States. We know that. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if the ambassador to France decided to take a trip to Iran and to and to and to acknowledge the Ayatollah has a power over his life or her life. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the ambassador to France flying over to Tehran and saying, I acknowledge you as a power over my life. What do you think would happen to that ambassador's job? Do you think that ambassador would be able to hold their position? Quick question there. Let me know. Do you think that ambassador would be able to hold their position? Do you think that ambassador would be able to... uh, What do you think would happen? I'll tell you exactly what would happen. They'd go to jail. And probably do life in prison. Imagine the ambassador to the United Nations flying over to North Korea and having lunch with Kim Jong-un and saying, Kim Jong-un, from here on out, I want to do what you want me to do. I want to serve you. Imagine the ambassador to the UN going to Kim Jong-un, another another sovereignty in another nation that has already said and and that their agenda opposes the United States agenda. And they say, you know what? I'm going to follow you because I love your ideas and I love your leadership. What do you think would happen to that ambassador once that ambassador is found out? That ambassador would be arrested, locked up, Maybe never come out. Well, that's how God saw what their worship of other gods would be like. And that's why God took 
that seriously. That's it. Because they ruled under other agendas. Stay with me because I'm closing. Their agendas was, for some it was sex. For some it was power. For some it was money. For some it was, these different gods had different agendas. These are things, these are, these are principalities that governed these people, that drove these people. For some it was sensuality, for some it was pleasure, for some it was comfort, for some it was power, for some it was blood. And in doing so, they, he says in, in this text that some of them were willing to sacrifice their own children to these gods, these Elohim. And God is saying, I won't tolerate that. Because my rule on the earth, my agenda looks nothing like that. God's rule does not look like economics, economic power. God's rule is really not about money either. God's rule is not about politics. It's not about missiles and guns. God's rule is not about sex and sexual identity. God's rule is not about, um, you know, you name it. Just go, go through the list of all the idols that we worship today that are embodied by spiritual intelligences, collective intelligences that we come together and we, and, and are dominated have dominated our culture. We have people who want to be ruled by certain things. And, 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 you know, I got money on my mind, more money, more problems. Money likes to, tends to rule us and, 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 and ideologies tend to rule us. Think about it. Even in the United States, our country, we're ruled by, by race and we're ruled by ethnicity and, and we're ruled by politics. There are, there are Christians who call themselves Christian, but, but because they're Republican, they won't talk to the Democrat because, you know, them Democrats are that's that's you're being governed by an idol. Your your political position is an idol. God's rule. Look at this now. God's rule does not align to any of the gods that we serve. It was never about punt money. It was never about politics. It was never about ideologies. It was never about that. As a matter of fact, when you think about it for a lot of people, a lot of people, you got to understand that the reason why a lot of things drive you is actually not because you're being governed by the heart of God, but because you're being governed by self-preservation. You're being governed by self-glory. You're being governed by, 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 by positions and titles. You're being governed by, by excellence. And, and you have a certain sense of, of, of self and a certain sense of ego that you want to protect it and you want to you know, hold on to it. Did you not know that something that is demonic is not something that is possessed by demons, but something that's possessed by your own heart? The scriptures tell us that in, in the book of James, that those who had demonic wisdoms were those who gratifying the desires of their flesh. And I want to just make sure I speak into this for a moment that for many of us, we do not want to tear down the places of worship of the idols. We don't want to tear down the places of worship. We, we love the tall buildings and we love uh, celebrating celebrities and we love worshiping people. We love, you know, worshiping the, the, the new temples of our gods because our country is full of temples, family. Okay, the temples can be found in casinos. The temples can be found in churches. 
because we like to worship pastors, but we don't really worship God. We we, we have temples. Um, our our our, our Capitol Hill build, building is 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 a temple. Uh, the White House is a temple. Uh, we have banks. These banks can be temples. And and he's saying that when you approach the temples of the the gods, you're not here to serve in these temples, but rather I'm calling you to a different government. I'm calling you to rule differently. So when you go into the land that you possess, rule the way that I rule. You must be obedient to my laws and my commands because my laws and my commands shape you into being, into instituting, and into initiating what my government on earth looks like. God was not in the business of destroying the earth. He was in the business of pulling us away from the earth. God is in the business of restoring the earth. How does the scriptures end? The Bible ends with him restoring a new heaven and a new earth. And that is the purpose by which Christ came, that he came to restore all things. He said, behold, I will make all things new. Christ is coming to restore the earth. Now watch this. He says to them, be obedient to his laws when they enter into this new land. And this is what we're going to be reading through. Be obedient to his laws when you enter into this new land. Now watch this. He tells them how they can be obedient. The obedience will be driven by love. He's telling them, he's showing them in this text over and over again as you see it. He says, keep all his commands. But Moses is saying, because you have listened to the voice of the Lord your God, to keep all his commands, which I obey to you, to do what is right in the eyes of the Lord your God. He, he shows them, if you just read, there's a few of these. These are the statutes and judgments in, in Deuteronomy 12, verse 1. These are the statutes which you shall be careful to observe in the land which the Lord God of your fathers is giving you to possess all the days you live on earth. He, he's telling them, this is how you ought to govern in the land that I give you. Yes, govern. This is how you're going to govern in the land that I give you. How are you going to govern in the land that I give you? Look at Deuteronomy 11, verse 1 that we read. Therefore, you shall love the Lord your God. Because if you love the Lord your God, then you will be able to keep his charge, his statutes, his judgments, and his commandments always. God's government is love. Did you hear that? God's government is love. Anything else? Me, myself, and I, power, politics, any of that? Uh -uh. God's government is love. And he's saying, if you just love me, you will obey my commandments. And by obeying my commandments, you will respond to what I've done to you. All the stuff that they ought to do is governed by love. If you just love me with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Like if you can love, remember I said that um, um, in our last reading rant, if you just make love the priority, if you would just love me, if you just get over yourself and just love me, you would obey my commandments. What are your commandments, God? 
Don't stop looking simply in the scripture for the commandments. His spirit will write the scripture on you.